mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, this past week, the governor signed HB 99, making it legal for teachers to arm themselves in schools, a move the head of the Ohio Education Association calls absurd. So our question, you got a better idea? Also on the program this morning, details on the Black Heritage Library and Multicultural Center's celebration of Juneteenth and why it is so significant in our history. And after several uncertain years of the pandemic, Tiffin's Ritz Theater is planning a full season of entertainment for 2022-2023. We'll get details. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, June 20th, 2022. Today is American Bald Eagle Day. So, celebrating the American Bald Eagle. Plain Yogurt Day. Plain Yogurt Day. If you don't want any, if you want a low-key celebration, (laughs) you don't want to go too wild, just have plain yogurt today. You can still celebrate, uh, but keep it low-key. National Ice Cream Soda Day, National Vanilla Milkshake Day. Again, vanilla milkshake, when you don't want to go too overboard with the celebration. You want to celebrate, but just keep it low-key. Vanilla Milkshake. Uh, World Productivity Day today, which I think is really strange that that should happen to fall on a Monday. I mean, is this something that always falls on a Monday, or did it just happen to fall on a Monday today? I'm not sure, but... It just seems like World Productivity Day should not be on a Monday. You know what I mean? That just seems wrong somehow. And today is National Hike with a Geek Day, which is a day to encourage all of those uh, computer geeks, uh, people who spend all of their time sitting in front of a screen to get out and get active. Hike with a Geek Day today. And speaking of which... Uh, a new poll finds that most American parents believe that their kids are not spending enough time playing outside. This is a huge survey. 5,000 parents of kids between the ages of 5 and 13. uh, Parents of kids between the ages of 5 and 13. 55% of those parents believe that kids are not spending enough time playing outside these days. Uh, 57% worry that their kids are not as excited about playing outside as they were when they were young. The uh, parents tell their kids to go play outside an average of four times a week. They've got to go tell their kids, go play outside. Yeah, I remember when I was a kid, the mom, mom and dad had to tell us to come inside and to beg us to get come inside because that's all we wanted to do was be outside. But, uh, Not so much these days. Uh, The top reasons that parents want to tell their kids to go play outside. uh, 51% they just need to get some fresh air. Uh, 47% say they need to take a break from their digital devices. Uh, 42% say our kids need the exercise. Parents said their child typically spends just five hours a week playing outside. By comparison, 76% of the parents said most of their time as a child was spent playing outdoors, and 85% said it's important to them that their children spend time outside, too. Parents said that they believe their child's physical health would be positively impacted by playing outside more often. Um, 
72% said that as well as their uh, creativity and imagination. 63% said it boosts creativity and imagination. 60% said it is good for their mental health. Whatever the reason, get those kids outside. However, keep in mind that it is going to be very, very warm uh, this week. So make sure they are taking it easy outside there. Um, yeah, it's supposed to be like 90 plus every day this week. And tomorrow may hit the triple digits next couple of days. Not today, but uh, tomorrow. And I think Wednesday, there's an outside chance we could get to 100 as well. Very, very, very hot uh, over the uh, course of the next week. And I somebody will have to look this up and see if this is right. But I heard somebody say yesterday, I think it was, that if every day this week we hit 90 degrees, as is forecasted to get to 90 plus every day this week, if that happens, we will have already this year had more 90 degree, degree days than in the past like two or three years combined. I mean, it's been a very hot summer, and officially summer doesn't even start until tomorrow. And already, we'll have had, after this week, more 90-degree days this year than the past, like, two or three summers combined. So, just crazy, crazy warm. But anyway, get the kids outside, is the moral of the story there on that, uh, that story. By the way, uh, talking about how playing outside benefits uh, kids' mental health... Many of us already know that exercise comes with certain mental health benefits, but apparently it is possible that virtual reality can have the same impact. So for those kids who absolutely refuse to go outside, if you can get them exercising in the metaverse, apparently that is going to have some benefit as well. A new study suggests that virtual training can reduce stress and anxiety. Researchers from Tohoku University, I'm assuming this is in Japan, uh, does not say that, but Tohoku University, uh, I believe, is a, a Japanese institution. They found that when elderly patients used avatars to run, <laughs> so when they were jogging or running in virtual reality, those patients did show lower levels of stress comparable to real-life exercise. So, this is not only good for those kids who refuse to go outside, but for older folks who can't get around and get outside like that anymore. Uh, they say the findings are especially hopeful and helpful for those who perhaps are limited in their physical mobility to enjoy exercise. So, there is that. Speaking of summer, if you are of a certain age, you remember, what was it? Is the summer of 84, the summer of 85, that The Goonies was like the big movie of the summer. Back in the mid-80s. You remember the movie The Goonies? Again, if you were of a certain age, uh, that was one of the uh, big, must have been the uh, summer of 85, I think it was, that uh, The Goonies was this huge, uh, huge hit movie. Well, if you remember the film... Check this story out. The remains of a legendary 17th century shipwreck. The same wreck that supposedly inspired the movie, The Goonies, have been found. The shipwreck that inspired the movie, The Goonies, 
has actually been found. Now, it was not as dramatic as the <laughs> as the ending of the movie, The Goonies, but pieces of the Santo Cristo de Burgos, de Burgos were found in sea caves, were in sea caves in uh, Men- Manzanita, Oregon. The wooden trading ship was carrying silk, porcelain, and beeswax when it disappeared in 1693. Stories of wrecks in the area have persisted for hundreds of years, even inspiring tall tales and at least that one movie. So, how about that? That's actually pretty cool. Um, here is a follow-up to a, a story that I think we were talking about week before last, before I went on vacation. Um, if you didn't hear us talk about it, you might have heard about it in the news. Claims out of China that they had picked up signals from extraterrestrial life. Radio signals from deep space. Turns out that it was all false. It was not a hoax, necessarily. For a time, the scientists actually believed that they were getting communications from deep space, actual communications from extraterrestrials. But uh, the uh, country... Let's see, it says China reported signals indicative of life from the world's largest telescope. However, those researchers are now calling the claims inaccurate. It wasn't a hoax. They were just mistaken. Dan Wertheimer, a researcher who's worked closely on that telescope in the past, says that China's findings are actually just interference from here on Earth. Interference originating here on Earth. They say many television and cell phone signals can make uh, findings difficult to differentiate the residual effects of signals on this planet will interfere with uh, signals coming from deep space. And the uh, Chinese science ministry was just mistaken that they thought they had uh, received communications from outer space and it turned out to be just from this country. Interference, static, you know, that kind of thing. Crosstalk, that kind of thing. That's a very disappointing, anticlimactic end to that story, isn't it? The Chinese science ministry has since deleted the study and their findings from their website. And lastly, among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, here's something perhaps to inspire you on this Monday morning. What is stopping you from learning a new language or taking up a new sport or you know, learning something new? What's stopping you? One common belief is that the older you get, the tougher it is to master something new. That old saying, can't teach an old dog new tricks. Apparently, that is not true. Researchers from the Norwegian University of Science and Technology find that it is actually the level of motivation that you have to push yourself that you can do it and that you can succeed. Scientists say women in particular are able to overcome stubbornness that can temper motivation or self-confidence in old age. For many, accepting life, accepting life as it gets tougher with age. Settling down means spending more time on the couch than uh, trying without going for something outside of your comfort zone. 
I say. Um, even if you had a spark of inspiration or a passion for a new hobby or to learn something new, the desire tends to wane over time. And with the reduced desire is a waning belief that you can actually get good at something that you have not done before. Again, whether it's a new hobby, a new taking up a new sport, learning a new language, whatever it might happen to be. Researchers say the biggest barrier, the long and short of it is, biggest barrier is age. Well, it's not age, but a person's fixed mindset that they possess only a certain amount of intelligence or skills and that their age determines that. In the end, they say, while you may not become a world champion at snowboarding, your proficiency will increase if you keep at it and just don't give up. So there you go. There's your Monday motivation. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Monday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, plenty of sunshine expected today with a high in the upper 80s. Partly cloudy tonight, a low in the mid-60s. A local man has been inducted into the Ohio High School Athletic Association Officials Hall of Fame. D. Clay from Fostoria officiated football and track and field for many years. I enjoyed all 45 years of sports officiating. I saw a lot of uh, great athletes. I saw a lot of great performances and a lot of great memories. And he said it was really nice to have his wife and three sons at the ceremony in Columbus over the weekend. He's one of 13 new inductees into the Hall of Fame. Several men convicted in the hazing death of BGSU student Stone Foltz have been sentenced. Three of them will go to jail for between three and four weeks. Two others are on house arrest. All are on probation. Next month, two more suspects, Troy Henriksen and Jacob Crin, will be sentenced. Fultz's parents released a statement in response to the sentencing. It reads in part, there will be no closure for our family until hazing is permanently eradicated on college campuses. Universities and Greek organizations must be held accountable for creating and supporting environments that allow hazing to thrive. Stone and countless other students have been tragically injured or killed because people in power refuse to protect them. WTOL 11's Amanda Fay. It turns out Cincinnati will not be hosting a World Cup men's soccer match in 2026. The Queen City was snubbed by FIFA in favor of venues like Kansas City, Dallas, Houston, Atlanta, Miami, New York, Boston, and Philadelphia. City leaders say they will not be deterred and will try again for future games as they go back to the drawing board and try and find out where they fell short. Hamilton County had promised to make $10 million worth of improvements to Paul Brown Stadium as part of the region's bid. Steve Vaughn, ONN. The Marathon Center for the Performing Arts in Finley has announced its new season. The 2022 and 23 season includes Johnny Mathis, The Guess Who, and Aretha Franklin, Tribute, Fiddler on the Roof, and much more. Tickets go on sale to the public on June 28th. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Well, I know we keep coming back to this subject, but with good reason, given the magnitude of it, the Robb Elementary School shooting in Uvalde, Texas, is just the latest in what has been a 20-plus year epidemic in this country. And once again, it has educators demanding change to keep classrooms as safe spaces for students and for teachers. And there was movement on that this uh, past week as Governor DeWine signed HB 99 into law, which would allow teachers and or other school personnel to arm themselves in Ohio's schools. Ohio Education Association President Scott Tomorrow joins us this morning. And Scott, proponents 
say that this measure is not only a way to respond to an active shooter, but also, and perhaps even more importantly, that it will act as a deterrent. Uh, you have called it absurd in your words. Why? Well, first off, uh, teachers right now in the state of Ohio and across the nation have so much on their plates. Uh, they've been on the front line of the COVID pandemic. They've been uh, keeping learning going uh, through some very difficult times, dealing with all kinds of resource inequities. Uh, and when I talk to our educator members from around Ohio, uh, what I hear over and over again is don't add something else. Uh, putting people in a dual role where at the same time they're responsible for educating children and serving as armed security guards, and especially under House Bill 99 with minimal training, uh, just doesn't uh, seem to be a prudent thing to do. It doesn't make our classrooms more safe. Uh, and instead, introducing more guns into schools uh, could have the effect of increasing the likelihood that you're going to have an incident where a gun is discharged in a school. Uh, we would much rather see uh, school districts be given the resources to enter into partnerships with local law enforcement. Uh, if you have rural communities that have longer uh, you know, response times, which I know is, is the number one argument that proponents uh, bring up, uh, then how about uh, entering into agreements where we have trained, fully trained uh, law enforcement personnel who are providing security, who are on site as school resource officers or in, or in another capacity uh, to help protect schools, if that's what a community decides is best. Well, again, you talk about the communities deciding. I, th I think it is important to point out that this uh, this measure, HB 99, uh, and other similar proposed measures across the country uh, do not require school staff uh, to arm themselves. It simply gives the authority to administrators if they de deem it appropriate. What's wrong with at least giving districts that option? Well, I mean, again, as I said, you know, our position is we don't think that we should be putting educators uh, in that dual role of, of being armed security personnel and responsible for educating children. However, we recognize that that's what the law allows. Uh, and so it is up to a local school district whether or not they're going to adopt uh, such a policy two significant problems we have with the legislation that was just rushed through the, the Senate uh, and signed by the governor this past week. Uh, one is the training requirements of a 24 hour training standard just simply isn't enough. It doesn't pass the smell test in terms of common sense uh, to ensure that people who are going to be entrusted with life and death decisions uh, that could affect the lives of students and educators in our schools uh, are going to be well prepared. Uh, to, to note, for comparison, when Mike DeWine was Attorney General, uh, his office uh, put out a recommendation uh, that, that came from the Ohio Peace Officer Training Commission that recommended a 150-hour training standard uh, for school employees who, were, who would be authorized under this. Uh, that was never adopted uh, but that was the governor's position in 2014 as attorney general. He, he obviously has flip-flopped on that. Um, in the state of Florida, where they have uh, a similar law in the books, the standard is 132 hours. Uh, there is no state in the country that, that provides uh, this kind of option to school districts that has a standard as low as 24 hours, which is the standard that, that we have here. So that's the first concern. The other concern is that 
if these decisions are being made at the community level, then parents need to know about it. Uh, we asked for, but did not receive an amendment in the bill that requires annual notification to the community and information on a school district's website uh, to just to state we have a policy that that requires or that that allows rather uh, our school employees to be armed. Um, the state doesn't track that. Uh, there's no way of knowing for sure right now exactly how many districts across the state uh, are are doing such a thing. Uh, we know that that there were several districts uh, that were doing it, and then the Supreme Court changed the standard, you know, enforced the law basically on the training requirements. Uh, a lot of districts suspended that program. Uh, we're hearing sporadically about a couple districts here and there that might might consider going back to Army teachers. Uh, but if, if I'm a parent in a school, I certainly believe that I'm entitled to know if my child's teacher has been authorized to carry a weapon. It, that certainly sounds reasonable. As you mentioned, uh, this was pushed through the state legislature very quickly uh, in response to what we saw in Uvalde. Could this on some level be viewed as a stopgap measure uh, to more comprehensive rules regarding school security that may come down uh, later on? Well, I would hope that's the case. I, I would hope that um, you know, given an opportunity to take a step back and think about a more comprehensive approach to this problem, uh, that lawmakers from both parties, uh, you know, would work with educators, work with the law enforcement community, which, by the way, uh, the FOP was one of the leading opponents of House Bill 99. It wasn't just educators and the education community that's, that opposed this, uh, but really to t take a step back and look at a more comprehensive approach. Um, re-examine training requirements, re-examine notification requirements, but also recognize that that uh, we ought to go back to what Governor DeWine uh, had put out just a couple of years ago after the mass shooting in Dayton. Uh, he called for a comprehensive set of gun safety measures that included red flag laws, uh, expanded background checks, and other measures uh, that would help keep these assault weapons out of the hands of dangerous people who are uh, wreaking havoc in places like Uvalde. Um, so understand, schools don't exist in vacuums, uh, that we have to address uh, gun safety on a community level and a state level. Uh, this is not just a standalone issue where you can just uh, take some, some steps involving schools and think that you're solving the problem. You mentioned uh, red flag laws and some of the other uh, measures which have been uh, talked about at the federal level. In fact, your uh, parent organization's national president at the NEA, Becky Pringle, uh, recently spoke to Congress advocating many of those same position points. Um, obviously, defenders of the Second Amendment are on record. They are not going to acquiesce to any gun bans uh, and the, the measures uh, negotiating Congress do not include uh, federal laws raising uh, the purchase age, uh, although it does allow for juvenile uh, records to be uh, considered uh, with respect to the expanded background checks. But some of the things that you were talking about uh, are part of that uh, federal measure. Um, is that how does that uh, change uh, the paradigm moving forward in terms of building on, you know, these measures that we're talking about now in making schools safer moving forward? Well, there's no reason the state of Ohio needs to wait for the federal government to take action on this issue. 
uh, lawmakers at the state level have the authority to enact these same kinds of measures. Uh, many other states have done so. Uh, and so, you know, we don't have to, you know, wait for the federal government to take the lead. I will say that I'm encouraged by the fact that uh, Senator Portman uh, is among a bipartisan group of senators uh, who are at least willing to move forward, maybe not on everything uh, that gun safety advocates have been asking for, but at least to take some important first steps uh, to try to address this issue, uh, including, um, you know, trying to ensure that, that you know, young people between the ages of 18 and 21 are less likely to get their hands on a assault weapon and, and use it in a school shooting. Um, so it, it, it is, uh, we, we support, uh, you know, efforts at the federal level and at the state level. But again, uh, Governor DeWine, I think, started to show some leadership on this issue in the past, then caved into the gun lobby, caved into, uh, you know, uh, extremists in his party. And instead, you had a quick fix measure to say, let's pass the buck on to teachers and have teachers carry weapons and, and pretend like we solved the problem. That has not solved the problem. Yeah, one thing that we know for sure is this is not the end of the conversation. It will certainly uh, continue. As we mentioned, we've been talking about this for 20 years plus now. Uh, and, and we talked about some of the further uh, measures, further steps that you would like to see. Have you had any of those conversations with uh, legislators or with the uh, governor? Well, it's interesting, you know, there were uh, some interested party discussions on House Bill 99 and on a pre previous version of that bill when it was in the, it was when it was in the last uh, General Assembly. Um, and, you know, there were there were talks, but in the end, uh, having the votes, the majority decided to, to move forward with with the bill that they wanted uh, and did not listen to the input from the education and law enforcement community. And. And uh, we are certainly open to uh, reopening those conversations and, and uh, trying to figure out a way that we can come to consensus uh, on some common sense measures that really are going to help our schools be the safest places in our communities. We will leave it there, but again, uh, will probably not be the last time that we address this issue, unfortunately. Ohio Education Association President Scott DeMauro with us this morning. Scott, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. So many cities around the country uh, are observing the annual holiday known as Juneteenth today. Officially, it was yesterday, but today is the federal observance. Uh, it became a federal holiday last year, and since it fell on a Sunday, the official public holiday is today. It is something that originated in Galveston, Texas. There, it has been an official state holiday in the Lone Star State since 1980. Joining us this morning to talk uh, about the local observance of uh, Juneteenth, which will happen later today, and why it is so significant in our history, from the Black Heritage Library and Multicultural Center, uh, Jerome Gray and uh, Bob Shuck. Thank you both for uh, dropping by. We certainly appreciate it. Uh, Jerome, I'm going to start uh, actually with you. Talk a little bit about uh, what will be happening later on today at the uh, observance, the local observance here. Okay, we'll be starting. It'll be held in the parking lot of the Black Heritage Library and Multicultural Center, which is located at 817 Harmon Street. And we'll have uh, music provided by Roski Entertainment Productions. Um, we'll have food truck there, pull up and grill. And um, we'll have games, fun and games for the children, uh, snow cone machine. Uh, 
cotton candy machine and uh, food will be free with donations accepted mm-hmm. to help us defer the cost. So it really, you are focusing on the uh, kids this year. We were talking a little bit before and on the air, really focusing on the uh, the kids this year. Uh, and obviously the uh, goal is to have the uh, parents uh, bring them out. Everybody learns a little something about what Juneteenth is all about. Right. And the library will be open for people who have not seen the library. We will have story time going on inside for the children that would be uh, want to be there and we'll have games outside that the children will be able to play so it's just a fun atmosphere for them and we'll talk a little bit about the holiday also so let's talk a little bit about uh juneteenth and why it is uh so significant i think as as many people know and we mentioned that this is something that originated in galveston texas uh it was the first uh observance of the holiday that is where uh, the last of the American slaves learned that they had been freed by the Emancipation Proclamation two and a half years after the fact. And I, I was having this conversation with a friend of mine uh, over the weekend uh, as to why this holiday to recognize the uh, end or this date to recognize the end of slavery as opposed to the date in which the Emancipation Proclamation officially took effect. What is the significance of Juneteenth as opposed to that date of the original Emancipation Proclamation? Texas was the farthest outreach, and it was barely affected by the war. There were no Union soldiers in Texas, and there were a lot of slave owners and plantation owners who moved to Texas because they thought it was a safe haven for still having slaves, Mm -hmm. which proved to be true. And as we know... News didn't travel that fast back then. Right, yeah. So it took a while. It actually took the physical troops going into Texas, Gordon Granger, with announcement number three stating that proclamation had been issued, that all slaves had been freed. And that's the significance of that date, that he came in on June 19th. And the combination for the name of the holiday yeah. is June, June and 19th. 19th. And they started celebrating it in 1866 in Texas. And with the advent of the Great Migration, it spread all over the country eventually. You know, as Jerome mentioned, uh, Bob, and I'll bring you into the uh, conversation here. As Jerome mentioned, uh, the significance of the the fact that it took news a long time to travel back in the mid-19th century is obvious. But it also, as he was alluding to, uh, signified just how much of a resistance there was to this even two and a half years later. Oh, yeah, big time. And what it really represented when uh, General Granger formally announced the end, I'd like if people have a chance to pick up the uh, editorial page of Saturday's paper, and there is a wonderful editorial on there on what Juneteenth is, because a lot of us, myself included, had never heard of it and didn't know what it really represented was, uh, th- according to this article, represented freedom from black people being treated as chattel, as property, mm-hmm. and end of a system based on separating families. You remember in uh, Gone with the Wind when uh, she says, if Prissy doesn't do what she wants, you know, uh, she says, I'll sell you down south. I swear I will. And that's how people, they separated husbands and wives, mm-hmm. mothers and children. And then the third thing was the end of, of violence and rape in America you know, against black women. Yeah. And so it was kind of a watershed moment. Yeah. And 
Uh, black women and black men. Yeah. Yeah. It happened both ways. And, and, of, and as we've mentioned uh, before, the the we are fortunate in the community to have a resource such as the uh, Black Heritage Library Multicultural Center. Um, for those who have not been there or don't know the significance uh, of, of the holiday, this is a tremendous resource uh, to get that kind of an education. Part of the mission of the library is to promote the awareness, appreciation, and understand the yeah. thing of the value of culture and cultural diversity that it brings to a given situation. Yeah. Corporations have learned from a financial standpoint that the more diverse your environment, it affects your bottom line. Yeah. And nowadays, we, we, we tend to think like we've taken a step back with, and I'm going to mention the three letters we talked the last time I was here, yeah. critical race theory. Right. What that does, yeah. it throws a wet blanket on any discussion that these, moves the conversation forward that we need to be having. Yeah, these, uh, these talking points that have become political uh, firecrackers, uh, whether we're talking about critical race theory, as you mentioned, Black Lives Matter, uh, is another term that has been politicized. Um, is this the opportunity to kind of rise above that? We take every opportunity that we can. Yeah. And this hasn't been any long-range planning, Chris. Sometimes I work by the seat of my pants. But understand, <laughs> if we were not doing this at the library, yeah. we would have nothing in Finley at this point for yeah. this. So, as I've said, we're, we're having this this year. It'll be good this year. It'll be better next year. That's uh, always the, the goal. Build on this as we uh, move forward. Interesting fact. There's an article uh, it, it reprinted from September 30th, 1880. It, and it was in the Hancock Courier that they celebrated the 17th anniversary of Emancipation Proclamation, and mm. there were more than 8,000 people, 10% mm. of which were black, yeah. that came to Hancock County in Finley to celebrate Emancipation Proclamation. I think that's pretty amazing. What would you do if you had 8,000 people at the library today? We'd need a lot of cotton candy. Yeah. <laughs> and again, when we've had this discussion, Finley had three newspapers at that point in time, yeah. and we were able to find some information. The question becomes, what was different about Finley and Hancock County then versus now? Mm. That they could have that big of a turnout, and we know that was a ton of people back in that day. Sure. So... How do we move back in that direction as a community? We've been working since January yeah. on the theory of the beloved community that Dr. King put out there. And we have been having discussions in Finley on Tuesday night, and we have a every Thursday night group. So we're starting to get some conversation and getting different people together. Well, let's uh, let's leave that as something for folks to uh, think about yes. uh, on, on Juneteenth. The observance is tonight, right? Yes, tonight from five to nine at the Black Heritage Library located at eight seventeen Harmon Street. Terrific resource. Uh, if you get the chance to drop by, uh, as you mentioned, it is uh, absolutely free. Uh, bring the kids. It's going to be a, a, a wonderful evening of celebration of Juneteenth. And again, uh, Jerome Gray, Bob Shuck for the Findlay or the Black Heritage Library Multicultural Center. Thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Uh, today's <laughs> today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. 
Uh, tell you what, a man's got to do what a man's got to do. And in this case, an Australian man had to use a forklift to prevent someone from driving off in his car. Brendan Mills and his family arrived home one morning recently or one day recently to find a woman attempting to drive off and steal their vehicle. Uh, I asked this person many times to get out of the car. You know, we're home. You're busted. Get out of the car. It's over. But uh, this individual didn't want to get out. So Mr. Mills said he did the only thing he could think of in the in the moment. He used his forklift to hoist up the car until police arrived. <laughs> that must have been quite a sight. I mean, or you know, what are the odds that uh, this person? I mean, she definitely picked the wrong car to try to steal. The fact that he had a forklift, <laughs> so he could immobilize the car. Um, the forklift was uh, handy because Mr. Mills actually is an auto mechanic. And so uh, when authorities arrived, the car suspended in the air was lowered and the woman who was still inside was arrested. <laughs> she has been charged with burglary and unlawful use of a motor vehicle. And she is as a court date next month. I'll make sure you don't steal my car. I'll just uh, take a forklift. That does it. This is an early category for the dumb criminal of the year, I think. This is one of those uh, dumb things. Criminals are not known for being, you know, masterminds of superior intellect to begin with. But uh, these, uh, these drug dealers... In Czechoslovakia, and well, it's not Czechoslovakia anymore, is it? It's the uh, Czech Republic. Anyway, uh, a cocaine shipment hidden in crates of bananas was accidentally delivered to some Czech supermarkets before it could be intercepted. (laughs) The haul was eventually seized by cops after supermarket workers at different stores across the country started discovering the powder-filled packages in the banana crates. The Initial plan of the drug smugglers is they were going to uh, intercept the shipment in Germany before it could uh, be transported then to Czechoslovakia or uh, the Czech Republic, excuse me, and they would uh, retrieve their uh, uh, contraband. But uh, somehow that plan got messed up and and the crates started arriving at grocery stores with more than just bananas. Footage obtained from the Czech police shows an officer and a sniffer dog inspecting a shipment of several crates of bananas, which had uh, been uh, which originated in Colombia. The drugs delivered as blocks of pressed cocaine weighed a total of eighteen hundred fifty one pounds with a street value of roughly eighty three million dollars. Not messing around here. Um, They were transported through. Hamburg, Germany, before arriving in the Czech Republic. (laughs) Maybe get a better plan next time. Oops. Let's see. Um, Back to this side of the pond. Uh, Domestically in the broken news. Would you? Here is the question of the day. Would you? A North Carolina pest control company is offering $2,000 to a homeowner who will allow 100 cockroaches to be released in their home as part of a study. Uh, Pest Informer is the name of the company, and they are looking to do this in five 
uh, somewhere between five and seven homes in the U.S. where the cockroaches would be on the loose for 30 days while they test a pest treatment that is experimental, but they insist it is family and pet safe. But it is experimental. They need to test it out. So they need to infest homes with cockroaches to do this. While the test is going on, the homeowners aren't allowed to use any other kind of insect treatment. Pest Informer, though, does promise that if the cockroaches aren't gone by the end of the study period, they will use traditional treatment options for free in the home to rid the... But would you would you allow your house to be infested with cockroaches for $2,000? I'm thinking you would have to pay me a heck of a lot more than $2,000. Pay me... Pay me a million dollars? Maybe. But 2000 bucks? No, there's got to be better ways to earn $2,000, I'm thinking. Uh, elsewhere in the broken news today, this is, uh, this is kind of crazy. In Japan, a young influencer and would-be entrepreneur uh, who live streams everything on the internet... She set up a vending machine. She's invented this. Set up a vending machine that sells edible insects. The menu includes 18 different varieties of deep fried insects like crickets and grasshoppers. Some are sprinkled with salt. Some are chocolate covered. Prices range from seven to twenty dollars. Claims that it is a burgeoning business opportunity. Do you think? It goes back to the cockroach story. I wouldn't. No. No, I wouldn't. Not. No, no. No. <clears throat> and uh, finally, in the broken news this morning, the uh, sad and strange story of Amara Harris, a student at Naperville, Nor- Naperville North High School in Illinois, who is accused Uh, In 2019, she was accused of stealing another student's AirPods. You know, the uh, wireless uh, headphones or uh, uh, earbuds, wireless earbuds. The AirPods went missing in 2019, and she was accused of stealing them. She says it's all a mix-up. It was not a theft at all. And here, years later, she is still fighting. This is still going on. Amara insists that she thought that the AirPods were hers. She thought she had left them in the school's library, uh, saw them there, and picked them up, thinking that they were hers. Turns out that they were not hers, but even though she tried to explain the mix-up, the resource officer at the school actually wrote her a, a ticket, wrote her a citation for violating a municipal ordinance against theft. Paying a fine would have made the matter go away, but Amara says she will not admit to something she didn't do. For two and a half years, she has repeatedly gone to court to assert her innocence, even delaying her plans to go to college so that she can fight this case. Case is now headed for a jury trial. Court date on Thursday. I'm sorry, the next court date is on Tuesday, tomorrow. Meanwhile, Amara and her mother have racked up at least $2,000 in legal bills, uh, $2,000 more than what the highest fine would have cost them to just make it all go away. But she's standing on principle. Uh, Ticketing students for their behavior in school flies in the face of a state law that bans schools from disciplining students with monetary fines. Moreover, 
The system relies on a lower standard of proof than a criminal court. State officials, including the governor of Illinois and the state school superintendent, say they intend to put a stop to the practice, but none of the state officials address how to deal with pending cases of other students like who, uh, who, like Amara, had already been ticketed. Governor says he wants all of this to stop. He wants it to end. Amara's mother uh, says, we are right in the middle of it. Isn't that a crazy story? I mean, that is uh, wild. Here's hoping that they get that whole thing straightened out sooner rather than later. There you go. Uh, that is today's broken news report. This update, the odd and unusual side of the news, brought to you as a public service, more or less. Of Hancock County Veteran Services, we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. It's the WFIN Virtual Car Show. Get them out, shine them up, and upload a pic of your classic, and we'll post it to WFIN.com for everybody to see. In addition, we'll have an online car show calendar so that you know when and where all the area shows are. It's chrome and horsepower on display online. The WFIN Virtual Car Show and Calendar. Thanks to Details Auto Spa, Loritz Chevrolet Cadillac, and 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Um, you know, for if you, I think if you ask many parents, uh, the, the one parental responsibility that very few look forward to is having that conversation about the birds and the bees. I remember having that conversation with my dad. And, you know, previous generations, it was uh, viewed as sort of, you know, part and parcel to being parents. Not something you look forward to, but just something you had to do. Have that uh, conversation with the birds and the bees. But for this generation of parents, apparently, they are satisfied. Many of a great many of them, they are satisfied to have their kids learn about human reproduction in their school health class. And that's good enough. According to a recent study, six in 10 American parents say that they were raised to believe that sex was a taboo subject. This uh, survey, well, one poll, asked 2,000 parents with children between the ages of 5 and 18 to examine their own views about the subject, including how they have addressed the topic with their kids. 58% of the respondents in the survey say that they have already spoken to their children about sex. 21% plan to do so in the future. However, and I thought this was interesting, 21% do not plan to bring up the sex talk at all. At all. I was a bit surprised by that. So after... A couple of uncertain years, the pandemic, Tiffin's Ritz Theater is planning a full season of entertainment. Coming up in 2022-23, Executive Director Michael Strong is with us on the line this morning. First of all, Michael, how uh, how awesome is it to actually be able to plan for a full season that will be pretty much like normal after the past couple of years? Pretty much is a good term, Chris. Like normal, um, we're still in the throes of trying to rearrange things from the past uh, and get things plugged in, in the right spots. Mm-hmm. But I think this is this is pretty close. We're pretty close to normal, and it's awesome. And I, I know that uh, of all of the, 
I guess, industries uh, that were hard hit. Uh, the uh, performing arts uh, industries had maybe the most difficult struggle to get back to normal because there are so many contingencies with uh, you know acts traveling the country and, and so on. It is an unusual dynamic for the performing arts industry to have to recover from uh, this unprecedented upheaval. It is indeed. It was difficult, especially during... 2020 and 2021, right? Uh, with layoffs and 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 contracts canceled and shows canceled, and it was pretty lonely around here. <laughs> well, it is going to definitely be a hopping place uh, for 22 and 23. Uh, first of all, there are a couple of uh, shows that uh, did not end up happening. Uh, what last year? I think these were both from yeah, last year. Three shows. Three shows that we're bringing back from 2022. Uh, The first one is Little Women, Mm -hmm. and that's in our national theater. That's the Ritz Players, our community theater. The Front Men of Country, which is uh, three singers from three great uh, uh, country bands, and that is on October 8th. And Michael Bolton, who had to move his date because he was on a TV show, (laughs) uh, and his new... His new date is December 18th. So that is going to be a great Christmas show with uh, Michael Bolton Absolutely, on yes. December 18th. Was that was that originally planned to be a Christmas show? No, it was just going to be a springtime oh, uh, awesome. Michael Bolton concert, and now he's doing his greatest hits and holiday favorites. And so uh, an extra added bonus to uh, have him back uh, during the holiday season. And by the way, you mentioned the front men of country, and for those uh, who are not familiar, those are the uh, lead singers of Lone Star, Restless Heart, and Little Texas, three great uh, country groups that uh, that is going to be a terrific show. And then and they will be doing all their hits in kind of an unplugged format. Yeah, that's going to be uh, an awful lot of fun. Now, speaking of uh, country music, you had a uh, big country music uh show coming up in november and that is craig morgan craig morgan who uh had a number of hits in the early 2000s he is on the road with his god family country tour and we were lucky enough to get a position in that tour on november 5th and uh then you've got a number of other uh, great musical acts uh, coming up uh the doo-wop project in uh, february and uh, the oak ridge boys again talking about country legends coming up in march yes the doo-wop project is going to be a very interesting show it's uh five guys who sing of course with a band a backing band and they sing all the great doo-wop hits but they also take some modern music and and do wopify it, if you will, <laughs> and um, and make it actually more fun than the original was in some cases. So that'll be a great show. Uh, and and the other one that you mentioned was um, the Oak Ridge Boys. The Oak Ridge Boys. Yeah. Oh my gosh, country legends! You know they've been together since, or they were formed in nineteen in the late nineteen forties, I believe. Wow, I did not. I mean, know it's that. not the original members from nineteen forties, but obviously. Uh, but they have been around forever, and we're really looking forward to it. They've been here before, but it's been about 20 years, and we thought it was time to bring them back. Absolutely. Uh, that, I'm, I'm sure, is going to be a, a ticket that will be in high demand. You also have a, a couple of great classic uh, rock groups, the Association, the Guess Who, coming up, both of those in April of next year. Yes, the Association on April 1st, um, Cherish, and all, all kinds of great hits mm-hmm. they had. Uh, so they'll be here on April 1st, and then we've got the next show coming in on April 15th. I love the Guess Who. Uh, I think they were one of the most overlooked rock groups uh, early in, in the early 70s, and it's just going to be a fabulous show. 
So uh, mixed in among those, you've got uh, a number of other uh, performances, another holiday uh, performance to the Toledo Symphony Orchestra. Yep. Uh, you've got uh, you know some other uh, some other groups, the Toledo Spring, String Quartet. That was the other one uh, that wanted to uh, mention. Uh, I think the uh, the Nobodies of Comedy are back uh, as well. So absolutely every year. Yeah, a lot and of so are here come the mummies. Yeah, every year. Uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right, Chris? <laughs> and the mummies attract an audience. Uh, sell out the house every time they're here. So uh, we are we are feeding the mummy hunger. <laughs> uh, mixed in amongst that, you've got uh, a number of, as you mentioned, uh, productions. The Ritz Players, the local theater group, will uh, be doing a number of shows uh, this year. Absolutely. They are doing Harvey. They are doing Disney's Beauty and the Beast, among others. Mm. Uh, they've got a really interesting season coming up. They're going to stay quite busy. There's one other thing I wanted to mention. It's called Art Rageous. Uh, it's on April 22nd. It's kind of a family event. And what it is, is uh, some people, artists, put music on very loud and paint. And <laughs> in front of you develops this incredible image. And you don't know what it is until it's finally done. And they flip it over and, and it's, lo and behold, it's Jimi Hendrix. And you were listening to Jimi Hendrix the whole time. Wow. Fabulous, fabulous uh, production. So tickets for all of these shows, uh, ticket sales begin when? Give us the lowdown on all of this. Sure. If you're a current subscriber, you can start your renewal process on July 11th. New subscription sales, and who wouldn't want a subscription to some of the events that we have coming in? They start July 25th. Flex package sales begin August 1st, and that is uh, your opportunity to craft your own series by picking three or more performances that you want to see and saving yourself a little bit of money. And single event tickets go on sale August 8th. And all of that uh, information, uh, including ticket sales, when they are available, can be done online? Yes, you can go to our website at richtheater.org. We're having a little problem with it today, but uh, check it out later in the afternoon. It should be fine. And you can buy tickets online or call the box office at 419-448-8544. Or just stop by. It would be great to see you. And again, if you have never seen a show at the Ritz, it is a terrific old uh, restored historic theater that is one of those where there is not a bad seat in the house. There really isn't. There really isn't. Um, I usually sit in the balcony uh, when I go to, if I'm going to sit down and watch a show, especially for some of the large theater performances, because you get such an overview of the whole stage. Uh, there, but there, you're right, quite right. There isn't a bad seat in the house. I, I have to say, after uh, seeing uh, shows at the Ritz and uh, the Marathon Center here in town is is much the same way. It is difficult to go to a bigger venue after uh, having uh, seen a production in one of these uh, smaller venues, more intimate venues, uh, because it's just not the same. So if you have not been, this is a terrific way uh, to see a show and, and, again, some terrific shows to be seen. Uh, we've got the link up on our webpage uh, for more information. Again, uh, Michael Strong with the uh, Ritz Theater uh, with us uh, this morning. Michael, thanks very much for the uh, info. We appreciate it. Look forward to a, a good season, and hopefully uh, everything will go off without a hitch this year. Thank you, Chris. From your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> Absolutely. Again, goodmornings.net if you want to learn more about the uh, upcoming Tiffin uh, Ritz Theater uh, season. 
Uh, Goodmornings.net, we've got all of the uh, information there for you. And again, the uh, season subscription sales begin July 11th. Single uh, ticket, uh, single event ticket sales begin on August 8th. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. That is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, did you know that the U.S. Army is the world's largest employer of musicians? For World Music Day, a conversation with a member of the United States Army Band, Pershing Zone, who hails from the small northwest Ohio town of Ayersville in Defiance County. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.